right, good morning again. It's uh, great to be able to share God's word with all of you. And uh, I believe uh, as we start this series today called A Better Hope, I know that we all have a longing in us. We have a longing to be connected to God. And I believe all humanity has this and has had this for all time, this deep desire to have a connection to God, that there's something more for us out there as we live our lives. And if we don't know the Lord and we're sort of living and wondering, why does all of this happen? How does all of this happen? What, what is this world? What is this life all about? And that we are longing for, desiring, like, what is this more? What is out there? God, is this God? I don't know. And we want it for salvation. We want it for how we'll spend our eternity. But we also want it to fulfill this longing that we have in the here and the now. People have tried for ages to sort of connect with the gods. If you look even into Things like the priests and oracles of Greek mythology and Roman mythology, trying to connect people to God of where does all of this, uh, you know, how, how do we get grain and why the sun and all of these different things that we see in ancient cultures. The, the idols of the ancient cultures in the Near East as people would bow before statues in Assyria and Babylon and Egypt and the Phoenicians and all these different cultures that we see bowing before these idols trying to connect to God. Uh, the rituals of Islam where people are trying to find God through a certain set of rituals the priests of the Old Testament that we see in the, the faith of the Jewish people of trying to be this, this uh, mediator, this bridge between people and God. And even into today of the priests of the Catholic Church that we see people trying to help connect us to God or there's this need to connect to God. And there's this longing in every person for that for now and also for when we die that we want like, and we need a hope for these sort of existential longings and fears that all of us have. A hope to anchor our soul that's beyond a, a priest or a shaman or a ritual or a church or a list of rules or a statue of an idol that someone would bow down before. The book of Hebrews, as we continue to look into this book of this series in chapters 5 through 9, it shows us how Jesus is a better hope than all of those other things for all of the longings and needs that we have to connect with God. He's even a better hope than the systems of, of good works and good deeds and guilt about that that we have developed in ourselves. He's a better hope for that be a good person sort of message that sometimes we've confused the Bible for. And he's a better hope than our society's message today of even this sort of cancel culture thing that we're in, that our society has created a moral code, a list of do's and don'ts. And even if even if they're good things, okay? Our society has lit and created a list of do's and don'ts that if you don't follow that moral code, you will be abandoned, you will be kicked out, and you'll get, like, your whole life will get destroyed if you don't follow those rules. So a whole world that has sort of disdained the church 
for having a moral code for how you would live and has felt judged by the church has now created their own moral code that will judge you if you don't live up to that. Let me tell you, no matter how good some of those things are, that is the exact same thing as following a list of rules that you think are in the Bible and expecting to get saved or to be bridged to God from those. And what's incredible is it's even a better hope than sort of looking the part and feeling perfect even when you're falling apart on the inside. And even a better hope than the system that God himself created in the Old Testament. A system of priests that would offer sacrifices to God. On your behalf to atone for your sin, God created that system. And even God himself says, there is something better. And that better is Jesus. That Jesus is a better bridge to God than any of that. A better bridge than priests and that sacrificial system. And that is Jesus. So the person that's listening to this letter of Hebrews being read out loud to them, most likely that's what they're experiencing. As they're listening to these words, they have an intimate knowledge of priests. Their life has been about having priests that are offering sacrifices on their behalf, priests that are coming between them and God, helping them to connect with God. And so when this author then starts to talk about priests, they really get it. We don't maybe have that kind of intimate knowledge with priests, but this passage spells it out. And I want to kind of help fill in some blanks along the way. But this is why this passage matters. He basically says, here's what priests do, but here's how Jesus is a better priest, a better bridge to God. And so this all gets spelled out in Hebrews 5. So I encourage you, grab your Bible. Turn to Hebrews 5. We'll actually even just look back a little bit to Hebrews 4.14. Uh, because I think that's all very connected. It's interesting here. If you look in your Bible, especially if you've got an actual printed Bible and not just your phone. But you can flip around your phone still. But 5.1 starts with the word for. That means, okay, we want to look back. And then verse 16 says, therefore, of chapter 4. So we want to look back. Then <laughs> 14 says, therefore. So you look back. Uh, verse 8 in chapter 4 says, for. So you look back. Verse 3, for. Verse 1, therefore. Chapter 3, 16, for. Verse 7, therefore. Verse 1, therefore. And it just keeps going. Every paragraph has a therefore. The way this book of Hebrews is built is it's just building upon one after the another. Each thought, thought, thought is kind of building and establishing this whole case of how Jesus is greater. Jesus is supreme. Jesus is this better hope. So anyway, we'll, we won't go back all the way to the beginning, but that's why we asked you to read the whole thing. It's, it's really helpful. So 4.14 says this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. So we know we're talking about Jesus as this great high priest. Let us hold fast our confession. For we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tempted in all things, as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. 
So we see here now, we're in chapter 5, and it's starting to, to kind of tell you what do priests do? Like, what's the point of priests? If Jesus is this high priest, so what are priests? Verse 2. <clears throat> he can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided, since he himself also is beset with weakness. And because of it, he's obligated to offer sacrifices for sins. As for the people, so also for himself. And no one takes the honor to himself, but receives it when he's called by God, even as Aaron was. Okay, so Aaron was the very, very first high priest, brother of Moses. We'll talk about him. Now, verse 5. So here's like what high priests are. Now here's about Jesus. So also Christ did not glorify himself so as to become a high priest, but he, God, who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Just as he also in another passage says, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now that little section, uh, the author quotes Psalm 2-7 and then he quotes Psalm 110 verse 4. We'll talk more about the details. Verse 7 says, in the days of his flesh, Jesus, so when he was here as a human, in human form, Jesus, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. So imagine that garden of Gethsemane, right, after the last supper when he's crying and praying out to the Father. He was heard because of his piety. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation, being de designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. All right, we'll talk about that whole thing, Melchizedek, kind of funky name and all that. We'll see who this dude is. All right, now, let's look at this real quick. So 5-1 here, who are priests and what do they do? All right, so priests, first of all, just very simply, verse 1 is saying, priests are to be humans. And so that's why it was very important for Jesus to take this form of man, to take this form of being one of us. They are humans and they are appointed by God. And what they do is they're appointed by God to do this, to offer gifts and sacrifices. So specifically some of that's these meal offerings and these blood offerings that they would give. These offerings, some are just to please God. And then, but mo for the most part, they're about offering sacrifices to cover the sins of the people, all right? So that's simply there is one of the main roles of priests. And that's this way that they bridge humanity to God. Now, high priests also must be compassionate and sympathetic. Uh, this whole thing where he says they should be gentle and that they can help those who are misguided. They can help those who are ignorant because they are too. They've got their own weaknesses. And so these priests are to be compassionate in that way. And even back again in chapter 4, we see that we have this sympathetic high priest. But also priests are appointed by God. You can't just declare yourself a priest in this system. In fact, there were some, interestingly enough, that tried to take on the role of priest and it did not go well for them. This guy Korah, back in the time of Moses and Aaron, he rebelled against the high priest Aaron. And then it says that he was swallowed up by the earth. 
Kind of a crazy story that is in Numbers 16. You can check it out. Then King Saul, the first king of Israel, he tried to act as a priest and perform his own sacrifice. And it was out of that that God rejected him as the king of Israel. Uh, King Uzziah tried to act as a priest and he tried to go into the temple to burn the incense at the altar. And, And the priests were like, no, this is not your role. And he did it anyway. And God struck him with leprosy. And he had this sort of flesh eating disease that comes over his body. That's in 2 Chronicles 26. So it's very important that this is a role designated and appointed by God and by God alone. So you've got Aaron is this uh, first high priest of Israel. And the story of the Exodus is the people come out of slavery in Egypt. Moses is their leader. Aaron becomes this high priest. He's part of the tribe of Levi. And so now all the priests are Levites. And so you'll see in the Bible a lot of priests and Levites because they come from Aaron's line. And uh, so they're called Levitical high priests, the book of Leviticus, right? So maybe, maybe some things you never even thought about are coming together for you there, but that's all about priests. And what would happen, and also some of that is the priests would, they would do things like burn that incense at the altar, burn the sacrifices at the altar. They would teach the law to the people. Um, they would uh, even receive a portion of the offerings for themselves. And that's kind of what would provide for them as the priests. And then the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies within the, the temple or the tabernacle before the temple was built. And that's where the Ark of Covenant is, where the very presence of God was dwelling within it. And he would go into this place once a year and sprinkle blood upon the altar as an atoning covering for the sins of himself, his family, and the entire nation of Israel. And so that very important work was the work of the high priest. Um, So there's all sorts. I mean, priests and Levites are mentioned over 900 times in the Bible. So this is just a brief little covering of what priests do. But all of those things are prerequisites for priesthood. And Jesus, to be that high priest, needed to be able to fulfill all of those prerequisites. And he does. And, And so that's kind of what that the rest of that passage is. And I want us to see a little bit of why that matters. And keeping in mind of how we've talked about how people have this longing to be connected to God, right? And to be even connected to God when we are a sinful people. And that's what priests were. They were a bridge between the people and God. So simply when they would offer those sacrifices, they would bridge us to God, to the heavens, from earth to heaven. And that's what priests would do. And The beautiful thing about Jesus and what we see here is that Jesus is a better bridge, okay? Because Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice, once and for all. There no longer needed to be this annual going into the Holy of Holies by the high priest because Jesus offered himself, his life, his perfect life as the perfect sacrifice. And you saw after he died, the veil in the temple that separated the rest of us from the Holy of Holies was torn in two, tearing apart that separation and that Jesus broke that down. He is that better ultimate bridge. There is now no need for the high priest. There's no need for a person to connect you to God other than Jesus 
perfectly fully God, fully man, sacrificed once and for all. And what's beautiful is he's always available to us. Not just once a year, not just if we show up for a moment of confession or something. Jesus is always available. We can approach him in prayer. We approach him, as chapter 4 says, with confidence because of what he has done for us. And he will then give us the grace that he paid for directly to us. So Jesus is that better bridge. The other thing that it said that priests are, right, is this whole thing of they're compassionate, gentle shepherds of God's grace. It's a beautiful part, actually, in verses 2 and 3, where it says about all these priests that they can deal gently with those who are ignorant or misguided because they also are weak. Just even as a pastor, which might have some slight similarity to a priest, has, like, I, I resonate with this so much because I... I want to help others to be able to grow in their faith as I try and I struggle and as I sin and as I have a hard time with all of this, I have so much of my own weakness. And so the priests were to like be people that had weaknesses. They're to be people and they understand what it's like and they can guide you. And what's so amazing is when you think then of this Jesus fully God, fully man who is strong enough and perfect enough to be that ultimate once and for all sacrifice, he's also a better shepherd and a better priest because he has suffered for his sheep. It says that he was a son and has all of the authority and the rights of being a son, but he suffered and was obedient even in the midst of suffering. And he knows, he knows what it's like. And that's why we look back to chapter 4 again as well, as it says that, we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses, that he's gone through being tempted. He knows what that's like to be tempted, yet he was without sin. And so we have this wonderful high priest that suffers for us. Priests are also uh, called by God to serve. They don't just choose to serve on their own or they're going to get leprosy or swallowed up in the earth. <laughs> but in, in verse 4, we see that where these priests are called by God to serve. And Jesus was called by God to serve as a, as a priest, but to really to become this source of salvation and this highest order of priest. And we need to like, be able to understand what that is. And we'll talk about that here in a sec. But what's so cool is Jesus was divinely appointed by God. Not just as a priest, but as his son. Not just as this sort of Levitical priest, but this whole Melchizedek thing. When you look at verse even 5 and 6 in there, at your Bible, you see those quotes. Um, where Hebrews does quote the Old Testament a lot. And it's interesting. It says, Christ did not glorify himself as to become a high priest, but God says, you are my son. That's Psalm 2-7. Today I have begotten you. And then God says, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And that's here in, in Hebrews 5-6. But as you see, that's in Psalm 110, verse 4, that says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. 
All right, so let's, let's talk about this whole Melchizedek thing a little bit because this could be the point where you're like, yeah, and I'm out, right? Like this is just, this is too weird and too much, and it's super confusing, okay? It really is. It's not, it's not super easy. And we are going to talk more about this on July 26th because chapter 7 in the book of Hebrews is all about Melchizedek. So you see even more about him there. But I want you to have a little bit of a sense of this because you've got, God's saying here, and he's quoting Psalm 110, verse 4, you're a priest forever. It's a messianic psalm about the Messiah. Is this priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And in Psalm 110, it also says he will sit at the right hand of the Father. That this is the Messiah. All right. Now, not Melchizedek's not the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah who is of this line, of this order. So you got to look at... Where, is, where does it talk about Melchizedek in the Bible? Well, it talks about it here in Hebrews, Hebrews 5 and Hebrews 7. talks about it in Psalm 110. But then you got to go all the way back to Genesis. Genesis 14. Okay, first chapter in the Bible, and, or first book of the Bible in the 14th chapter. And in it is this story of Abram, who will become Abraham, who is the first father of the people of Israel. I mean, this guy is who everyone in, in Israel looks back to as their primary forefather, the chief of all the patriarchs. And within his story, he is in these battles and with these kings. And in 14, verse 18, all these kings come to him. And in verse 18, it says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. And now says, He was a priest of God most high. Now, this is interesting, okay, for a few reasons. First of all, he is the king of Salem. Salem was what then becomes Jerusalem. Salem, Jerusalem, okay? So he's the king of Salem. Salem is shalom. Salem means peace. So this guy's the king of peace in the place where everything goes down, this like, this city that is the city of God where, um, you know, where Jesus ultimately himself brings peace for all eternity um, in Jerusalem through his death and resurrection. Then you've got his name, Melchizedek, means king of righteousness or king of justice. So you have this king of peace, king of righteousness, king of justice is this guy's name. And it says he's a priest of God most high. So Yahweh God, he's a priest of Yahweh God. We got to remember, this is back in the time of Abraham, way before the time of Aaron. Okay, this is before the Exodus. This is before the Israelites being in bondage of slavery in Egypt. It's before all of that, all the way back before that. So there was no high priest. There was no Aaronic high priest. None of that, that whole system wasn't created yet. But there is this mysterious priest king named Melchizedek that we don't know actually a lot about. But he says, Jesus is of the order of this priest, not the order of Aaron or the Levites. He's a different kind of high priest. And so this is something higher, something more. And we're going to get into that in more detail. But it's pretty cool to say, like, so Jesus is of this order. And because he is this higher order and because he is this perfect sacrifice, he is able to be that bridge to God that no one else could be. And I love verse 9 back into Hebrews 5 where it says, He is an, 
and he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. Jesus is the source of eternal salvation. And so what you need to consider today is if this Jesus is the source of eternal salvation, if he is this bridge to God that we all are longing for, we all desire so much to have this connection to God, what I want to ask you today is what are the idols, what are the rituals, who are the people that you have placed between you and God, thinking you need those things to be able to be bridged to God. Yet your sin has separated you from God and you think if you just become a more moral person, if you continue to follow the rules of God, you will be then able to be bridged to God. Maybe you have begun to think you need a pastor, a priest, a church, a building, a ritual, a list of rules, all of that to connect you to God. And what I want to tell you to remind you is that Jesus is the one. The, bre- the better bridge that you need to live for today, to have that hope and that longing fulfilled that you have today. And he's also the bridge to connect you to God for an eternity in his presence forever. He's the source of eternal salvation. That's who our Jesus is. And so will you abandon the idols and the rituals that you have created to bridge yourself to God? And will you surrender your life to Jesus today? I want to ask you right now, wherever you are, to focus in your heart and your mind. Maybe that includes closing your eyes for you. To close your eyes and to consider, have I placed something else, even obedience to God, above God's grace, above Jesus as that bridge? And I want to ask if you have never said, I want to trust in you, Jesus, as my Lord and as my Savior, as the bridge between this earth and an eternity spent in the presence of God himself. If you want to say yes to Jesus today, I want to ask you to pray with me now. You can write a comment even in in the spaces that you're at online and someone will help you as well. But consider this now, let's pray together. I encourage you to pray something like this. Heavenly Father, God, I know that you sent your son, Jesus, to be that ultimate once and for all sacrifice. You paid the price for my sins. You died on the cross and rose again in victory and power over sin and over death. I believe in you. Please forgive me of my sins. And please give me that grace you offer so freely and help me to live for you. And so for all the rest of us, as we begin to worship our King of Kings, may we get rid of the rituals, the idols, the things that we have placed between us and God that don't belong there 
because the only thing that belongs there is Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We worship you. We love you. It is in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.